0: So we are in the year of mission, 2023. Jesus' mission when he came was very clear. It was to make disciples of all nations. Uh, And so our mission as a church is the very same thing. The way that we say it is how I just said it a moment ago, to help others find full life in Christ, in community, and living on mission. And so as a church, this first month of the year, we're talking about leadership in the church. Leadership in the church, because Everything rises and falls with leadership. This is true in this church. This is true in your home. This is true in your workplace. It's true in our government. Everything rises and falls with leadership. And when leadership gets better and healthier, Uh, everything gets better and healthier. Everybody gets better and healthier. And so what we're doing as a church is we're looking at the Bible and we wanna see what the Bible says about how the church is to be organized, how it's to be led. And where necessary, we as a church are trying to come into alignment with Bible, because really that's the goal of every Christ follower is that we want to bring our lives into alignment with what God has spoken in his word. And so everything rises and falls with leadership. And, you know, last week we talked about uh, elders, the role of elders. Elders are um, godly men. They're called by God. They are to be biblically qualified. Uh, And so we spoke specifically about a plurality of of elders called to feed and lead God's flock. Now, let me just talk to you practically about this for a moment when we talk about a plurality of elders. Uh, Because what we're envisioning and what we've been talking about in our leadership of this church is transitioning to a plurality of elders, not just a CEO, kind of senior pastor and staff-led church, but an elder-led plurality. Uh, But listen, if we change, if we transition to that, uh, on the surface, it it won't seem like much has changed. You know, we're gonna function in a lot of the same ways. We're still gonna be a congregational uh, form of government. In other words, there's not gonna be some outside form of authority telling us how to do things in our church. We're still gonna be congregationally um, led um, or informed. We're gonna be still involved in the same ways. Um, Y'all are still gonna serve the same way, uh, same ways. You're still gonna vote on essentially the same things you always have. Um, It may not seem much different to the majority of people in this church to be honest with you. But when leadership gets healthier, everything gets healthier. And so you may not notice much difference on the surface, but I'm telling you, you will feel the difference because when leadership gets healthier, everything gets healthier. So let me give you a, a real practical example. Uh, just think of a home, a family, like the traditional uh, family unit, you know, husband and, and wife who, who have Kids in the home, um, when when the health of the parents' relationship is is not healthy, or when it's rocky, or when there's tension in the parents' relationship, it can be felt throughout the whole home. Right? Even though the routine may not change, the activities of the home may not change at all. But when the leadership in the home, when the parents' relationship is is at odds, or when there's tension there, it's unhealthy. Kids feel it, right? Everyone feels it throughout the home. But when that relationship gets healthy, everything gets healthy and everybody can feel it. You just feel it in the air, right? In the home, it's the same in the church. As the church becomes more and more healthy, you will feel the difference. So let's start out this morning. I want to start in Titus chapter 2. This was in your uh, year of mission, mission Bible reading plan over the last week. But I, I just want to touch base uh, on this passage because it's been in my heart this week. Titus chapter 2, uh, just to kind of start out our, our, our time together this morning. Titus 2, 11 through 15, Paul says this. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, "...training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness... And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You know what what Paul is saying here? He's talking about the gospel, the grace of God that has appeared to us, that brings salvation to us, that's available to all people. In other words, this gospel that he's talking about, this is what we need Most of all, we need to hear and know and receive this grace of God that we call the gospel. The fact that though we are sinners, though we are separated from God because of our sinfulness and His holiness, that Jesus has brought to us salvation, that we could be saved from our sins, that we could know God, have a relationship with Him. But the grace of God doesn't just deal with our eternity, where we're going to spend all of eternity, our salvation. It also changes how we live today. He says that it's brought salvation for all people, but it also trains us to renounce or to put away ungodliness and, and worldly passions, living for what the world wants. Like his grace that saves us is the grace that teaches us and trains us and grows us up to reject ungodliness and to live godly lives in this present age. This is the grace of God, the gospel that we're talking about. And this is the most important thing that we need, every single one of us. And so in light of that, Here is what Paul instructs the elders of the churches. Verse number 15, he says this, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. In other words, Paul is saying elders, leaders of the church, your responsibility is to feed and lead. Declare these things and rebuke. Like rebuke anything, any practices or beliefs that contradict the gospel. You are to lead the church. And this is why the church is so important. This is why leadership in the church is so important. Because our job is to take that gospel into all the world. And so we need healthy leadership in our church and so we've been talking about this the last few weeks, that week number one, that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the head over all. Uh, this is, is his church. We belong to him. We are the sheep of his pasture. Last week, we talked about elders, which is synonymous with, with pastors. Elders are what we call under shepherds. They report to uh, the chief shepherd. And the elder's responsibility as under shepherds is to feed and lead the flock of God. And then today, we're gonna talk about the deacons who serve, the deacons who serve. So today we're gonna to be in Acts chapter six. We're gonna look at verses one through, through seven. And, and really this morning, it's a, it's a really, really simple sermon. We're gonna walk through verses one through seven of Acts six, um, but, but here's why it's important that we do this today. Um, we are gonna ordain three men as deacons uh, in, in just a few minutes. Um, but deacons, when it comes to deacons, The responsibility for deacons is really quite simple. In fact, the Bible has surprisingly little to say about deacons. Um, But this is so important because so many churches, um, I would say they either overvalue or undervalue the role of deacons. So some churches overvalue, in other words, they place more responsibility on deacons than the Bible does. So some churches, the deacons serve as almost the board of directors. They are the decision-making body of the church. Every decision flows through the deacons, and that is, that is above and beyond what the scriptures have uh, given as responsibilities to the deacons. So some churches overvalue that. Some churches undervalue that. So I've served in uh, two churches that were non Denominational churches that were very Baptistic in their beliefs and doctrine, um, and they had some form of elder leadership. Uh, but they didn't have deacons in their church. And I think that's a mistake. I think that's moving away from what the scriptures call us to, because deacons and the role of deacons, what they do, what they mean to the church, we'll see this in a few minutes, is so, so vital to the health of the church. And so there's these two ends of the spectrum where you can overvalue or where you can undervalue this role, but it's so important that we see what the scriptures say, and we operate according to what the Bible tells us. So there are two primary passages of scripture that talk about deacons. Acts chapter 6, which we will be in this morning, and then 1 Timothy 3, which tells us the qualifications, what qualifies someone to be or to serve as a deacon. But but here's one thing that is is very clear when you look at what, what these passages say about the role of deacon. Deacons serve the church. Deacons serve the church. In fact, The word deacon, uh, I told a fib the other week, I said that I was only gonna introduce three Greek words. This is Greek word number four, and that should be the final one. We have one more sermon, so there might be another one coming. The word deacon literally comes from the Greek word diakonos, diakonos, which literally means servant or minister, or another way we could phrase that is attendant or waiter, someone who waits on others, who serves others. This is the, the meaning of the word deacon. And so... This is the role of deacon, the deacons who serve. So we've talked about it too. I just want to keep reminding you, two offices in the church, elders, or also called pastors, elders feed and lead. So elders oversee the church. They manage. They provide spiritual leadership. Uh, they they make decisions, whereas the deacons serve. They serve and, and care for the physical and the practical needs of the church. And we'll see that this morning in Acts chapter 6. So let's, let's start there. So four things we're going to see this morning. Number one is this, the context. Verse number one, Acts chapter six. This is the early church. The early church is growing. The gospel is going forth. People are putting putting their faith in Jesus Christ. The church is growing. Verse number one of chapter six, it says this. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. So again, what you see is this is the church we're sp- speaking about the disciples of Jesus and i read that by one commentator that this number could be as high as as 20,000 all right so people are coming to faith in Christ the church is growing the disciples are increasing in number and it says this this takes place a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So here is the context. The church is, is gathered, more disciples are coming to, to Christ, but there's this brewing tension taking place in the church. There's this potential disunity and division arising within the people of the church. Well, why is that? Like what is, what's going on here? So you see in this, this verse, there's two groups of people. You have the Hebrews and you have the Hellenists. All right, so, so let me kind of define for you who these folks are. You have Hebrews who, who were, who were uh, Jews mostly from Judea. They were, they were uh, they embraced the Jewish culture. They were as Jewish as Jews could be, all right? They were the Jewish people. And then you had the, he, uh, the Hellenists, who were also Jews, but they were Greek-speaking Jews who were part of what's called the diaspora, the the dispersion. So as the Jewish people got scattered throughout the Roman Empire, these Jews were scattered and they were influenced by the Greek culture. But they are Greek-speaking Jews. They embraced the Greek culture. So, what you had between these two groups—Jews—and then you had these Greek-speaking Jews who would kind of embrace the Greek culture, and these Jews uh, of that are that embrace the the, the Hebrew way—and and there's this kind of natural tension and suspicion uh, towards one another. Uh, what I believe makes the church so beautiful is the diversity amongst its people. I mean, you have people from all walks of life, uh, ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds who like come together in this melting pot called the church, that we are all one in Christ. There's not Jew or Gentile, uh, male or female, bond or servant, uh, bond or free. The, we're all one in Christ. And I think that's the beauty of the church is the diversity within the church, the people who, who otherwise wouldn't have a relationship with one another within the church they do. And yet what makes the church so beautiful is also one of the things that uh, can be really challenging, is that you have different people with different opinions and backgrounds and, 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 and worldviews kind of coming together. And so it makes it challenging. And that's what you had in this early church You had the Hebrews and the Hellenists and the suspicion they had towards one another. The Hebrews looked at the Hellenists and they looked at them as unspiritual and like they were compromisers because they were kind of giving into the culture, right? And then you had the Hellenists who looked at the Hebrews and were like, y'all are are holier than thou, you're traditionalists. And so there's this like tension. It's kind of like, well, we're suspicious of you because you may be a South Carolinian, but you like the Gamecocks. You know what I'm saying? Or like on this other side, like, well, you like the tigers. And there's this like weird tension. Y'all don't relate to that at all. <laughs> Come on. There's like this little tension going on here. And, and this complaint arises. And, and the complaint was 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 this. It was about the care of the widows in the church. So what we know about the early church is, man, they were serious about supporting their widows, The widows amongst them that had no family or support otherwise, the early church cared for their widows. And what we see here is the Hellenists are looking at the way that the Hebrew widows are being taken care of. And they're looking at it going, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. Our widows are being neglected. They're not receiving the kind of care that your Hebrew widows are receiving. This is not fair, right? And so this complaint arises amongst the people. Let me read you this quote by by John Stott. He said this, It is not suggested that the oversight was deliberate. More probably the cause was poor administration or supervision. So it's not like, they were doing this on purpose. It wasn't deliberate, but you imagine when, as the church is growing and more and more people are, are, are coming, that things are going to slip through the cracks. And this was the complaint of these Hellenists, probably spurred on by the fact that there's this just natural suspicion between these groups. So that is the complaint. This is the context of, of what we're looking at in, in Acts 6. So the second thing we see, verse number 2, we see the issue. What is is the issue? What's the problem? So what we see here, verse number two, it says this. In the 12, and it's speaking here of the 12 apostles, the 12 apostles, the leaders of the church, summoned the full number of the disciples. So they gather all the disciples, the whole church together, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It's not right for us to give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. So when, when it uses the, the, the phrase serve tables, that word serve is literally that Greek word diakonos. So it says that it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to literally deacon tables, to serve tables. And so what, what it speaks of when it talks about tables, uh, what do we use tables for? To eat, right? So it could refer to to food, uh, serving meals, which could certainly be the case. But it also could refer to financial matters. Uh, remember the example of, of Jesus when he when he uh, walked into the temple and he saw the money changers and he was angry with what they were doing. And so what did he do? He flipped the tables. Uh, so financial matters. This could represent financial matters, and really we're talking about the the, the practical physical needs of the widows were being neglected. This is the issue. Now, what you need to notice, so these, these apostles, these leaders in the church, what they were not saying, okay, don't hear what they're not saying. They weren't saying, well, this task of serving the widows is beneath us. All right, that's not what they're saying. Like, we're too good to go serve tables. We're too good for that. That's not what they were saying. What they were saying was, we have a central task, a priority. What is that priority? It's to preach the word of God. To preach the word of God. That is our priority priority. Compare that to what we saw last week with with elders to to feed and to lead the flock. Now, I want to make sure you hear this. These apostles, they're not elders. They're not described as elders. In fact, Ephesians 2:20 tells us that the apostles and the prophets formed the foundation of the church. So they were this was a temporary role. So these are not elders. And elders today, pastors are not apostles, okay? Uh, you can't call me apostle Andrew. It's just not true. I'm not an apostle, all right? But, but these were kind of forerunners. They set the example for what elders would be in the church as leaders of the church. So the context we see, verse 1, the issue we see in verse number 2. Let's look at the solution, verses 3, 4, and 5. Here's what it says. So verse 3, therefore, the, these apostles, these leaders are speaking out. They say, therefore, brothers, which could be translated brothers and sisters, speaking to the whole church, brothers, pick out from among you, seven men of good repute, or good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose seven men, Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas a proselyte of Antioch, so they they picked out these seven men who were of good reputation, full of spirit, and full of wisdom. so here was the solution to the issue. The widows need to be cared for, but the, the spiritual leaders needed to vote to devote themselves to the spiritual leadership. so pick out from among you seven men, and these Seven men will meet the physical, practical needs of the church while releasing the leaders to devote themselves to spiritual leadership, to the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. So what we see here is that the spiritual was important, right? But so was the physical. Both the physical and the spiritual are important, but the leaders could not ignore or be half hearted about spiritual leadership. That was their priority. It was the spiritual leadership of the people. And so they needed to devote themselves to that. But here's a solution. Pick out from among you seven men. But don't just pick out seven men. All right, don't just like do a coin flip and pick out seven random men. There's qualifications. Pick out seven qualified men. Now you see here, three kind of overarching qualities. 1 Timothy 3, which we mentioned earlier, digs more into these qualities. But but here's what it says. Pick out from among you seven men of good reputation. All right, so they had to have a good reputation amongst others. They had to be full of the Spirit. So the way I would say this is they had to be spiritually-minded men. All right, they had to be spiritually-minded men and full of wisdom. So I would say that, I would say it this way: They needed to be spiritually minded. They needed to be practically minded. Okay, they were serving the practical, physical needs of the church, so they couldn't be like often like spiritual lalali and like all they cared about was the spiritual. They needed to be full of wisdom and how to deal with the practical things going on in the church. And so, this is is the these are the qualifications that they're called to: good reputation, spiritually minded, practically minded. Now. Again, these seven men, you don't see in this passage, you don't see them called deacons. But it's, it's widely accepted and acknowledged that these men were considered to be the prototype or the f- very first deacons in the church. So the solution, pick out from among you seven qualified men. Now, I want us to look at the result when they put these men into place. Uh, verses five through seven we'll read here. Here's what it says, starting verse 5. What they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose seven men, who I'm not going to name again, all right? What they said pleased the whole gathering, verse number 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, verse number 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So they put these deacons into place. Y'all see what happened? The mission advanced. The mission went forward. The mission advanced because they put these men into place. Verse five, it says that the people... What they said pleased the whole gathering. So in other words, they weren't just, they weren't just happy because like, okay, we've got these seven men who can help take care of our widows, can help take care of the practical needs. They weren't just happy about that. They were in agreement. So you see what's taking place here is that you have, you have these two parties who there's this complaint, there's this possible division and disunity, and now we have that crisis averted, right? They are now in agreement. They see how this solves the problem that God is putting into place these leaders. In verse number seven, it tells us exactly what happened. Now, pay attention here, because we look at this and we go, okay, seven men serve the church, things get done, things run more smoothly. That's great. Let's do that. No, no, no. There's, There's more behind this. Verse number seven, it says... And the word of God continued to increase. So, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think that means? The word of God continued to increase. I think it means that it could mean a couple of things. I think, number one, the word of God continued to be proclaimed and go forth and reach more and more people. So, I think that that is true. Like the word of God could go further and do more. But I also think when it talks about the word of God increased, I think what it's talking about as well is that the word of God began to increase and and go more deeply into the hearts and the lives of the people, right? The word of God increased. And so for some of you, maybe 2022 was a year where the word of God increased in your life. Maybe for some of you, my prayer for some of you is that 2023 will be a year when the word of God will increase in your life. That it, will, that it will occupy more and more of your, your heart and your affections. But if you move on, it says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples, what? Multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Y'all realize that God's plan to reach the world with the gospel is Multiplication. Some of you cringe at that because you're like, oh, I remember multi- like my times tables and all that jazz. Uh, I don't know what they do these days. New math is all weird, right? But multiplication, the way that God is intended to reach the world is to reach a few. Who would reach a few? Who would reach a few? Reach a few and it multiplies. And it, it multiplies over and over and over and over until all the world hears the good news of the gospel. And so it says the number of disciples multiplied greatly this is god's plan and so the people were pleased they were in agreement the word of god increased the number of disciples multiplied like how trace the steps here like how did this happen the church began to grow more and more disciples more and more people became obedient to the faith because of what it's because deacons were put into place to serve the church to free up the elders the the leaders of the church to provide spiritual leadership. When leadership gets healthy, everything gets healthy. And as a result of these men stepping into their God-given role, doing what God has called them to do, nothing more and nothing less, the word of God increased and more and more disciples multiplied. And so I want to make sure you hear that this morning because we look at this and go, okay, this is an ordination service. We're putting men, we're appointing them to an office and we're filling roles that were vacated and empty and need to be filled and it'll make the church run smoother. No, 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 no. What we're doing as we put men into place to serve the church as God has called them to serve the church, which releases elders to concentrate on the ministry of the word, spiritual leadership, and prayer, man, we will see the word of God increase and disciples multiply. Y'all wonder why we talk about the year of mission, why we're talking about leadership in the church. This is why. Because when the leadership gets healthy, the word of God will increase and disciples will multiply. Everything rises and falls with leadership. Let me say this about about what we see here, and the result of this is that great health produces great fruit. Great health produces great fruit. And we're talking about in the church that, that even when you even look at this last phrase in verse number seven, it says, And a great many of the priests, the Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. Like this, this had such a profound effect when the leadership got healthy. Even these Jewish priests came to faith in Jesus, like the impact was amazing. So let me let me talk about how we're to live in light of this. Like, what is the application for us in our church and in our own individual lives? What what can we learn from this? So here, here's the first thing, and this is kind of a caution a cautionary tale we see in I think Acts chapter six. Something that we need to be aware of because it's true today as it was back then in the early church, that the enemy's plan of attack on the church is always division. The enemy's plan of attack on the church is always division. Y'all see how this potential conflict, how did it all start? It started with a complaint. Did you notice that? The enemy is trying to sneak in. Here's, Here's people that are just by nature different have experienced life differently they view things differently and, and what happens a complaint arises now I want to give credit because I think it was handled well. The complaint came to the leaders the leaders saw the need and dealt with it but but here's here 's the enemy 's plan is l- let me create a complaint uh, which by the way can I say this there will always 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 be a reason to complain in the church i don't like this I wish this I wish we did this more i wish we didn't do that, there will always exist reasons to complain. I'm the pastor of the church and I complain. All right, There will always exist reasons to complain. But, but here's the enemy's plan. Create a complaint. Stir things up. Get people away from unity in Christ onto lesser things. That is where it comes, this division. And so I just want to warn you all. I want to caution you all because Here's the thing. This is how the enemy attacks. Let me get you to complain about something. Let me get you to, let me stir up this this uh, discontent. And rather than taking complaint to leaders, I'm going to take it to others. And I'm going to begin to stir up discord and stir up division within the church. This is how God, or this is how the enemy attacks the church of God. And I want to say that because I want you to be aware of that. Don't, allow the enemy to use you. Don't allow the enemy to use you to cause division in the church. And so it's okay to have a complaint, but deal with it in the right way, right? And, and what I love about the example of Acts chapter 6 is the early church, man, the way that they handled it, the way that they handled this. They they dealt with the situation. They Leadership got healthy. Leadership made decisions that that Diffuse the situation. And so the enemy's plan of attack is, is always division. Here's a second thought for us, is that coming right off of that, church leader serving the church as God has instructed brings unity to the church. When church leaders serve as God has instructed, again, no more, no less. When when leaders serve the church as God has instructed us to in his word, that actually brings unity to the church. It brings health. It brings unity. When leadership is healthy, everything gets healthy, and it brings unity to the body. So let me remind you of, of, of the roles Elders are what I would call servant leaders. We're we're all called to be servant leaders. Jesus said that in John 10. Um, Elders, uh, Mark chapter 10, 45, excuse me. Elders are servant leaders who focus on spiritual leadership. Deacons are lead servants. They are the lead servants of the church who focus on practical service. So we deal with the physical, we deal with the practical, the physical, because both are important. God has created us as spiritual and physical beings and ministry to the whole person involves both. And so this is why God has established elders to lead spiritually, deacons to serve physically and practically in the church and so let me, let me just throw this out there because this is one of the things I'm excited that we're doing as a church. As we're looking at uh, leadership in the church and the roles of, of, of pastors and elders and deacons in particular, we've kind of refocused on, on deacons and their role to serve the church. And one of the things that we have, we have implemented or working on implementing this year with our, our deacons, including these three new men that we're going to ordain in just a few moments, uh, is a ministry to widows. Uh, it's something we haven't done in the past since I've been here. Um, but we want to make sure that we are obedient to the scriptures and we care for those who are among us that uh, need our support and need our care. Uh, and there may be some that are older outside of, of this category that, that need care. And uh, if you or someone you know would fit into this category, just needing care from from the church, um, our deacons are on it. We're, we're uh, commissioning them this morning and we're authorizing them giving them responsibility that the scripture gives us to care for those in our church that need that. So I'm really excited uh, about that, um, that we're going to be taking care of those kind of needs. Um, But again, um, as church leaders serve the way that God has instructed us to, it brings unity. And then here's a third and final thought, and this is more for every single one of us, not just our church. Great health produces great fruit. I already said it. It um, sounds like I said grapefruit, not grapefruit, great fruit. <laughs> great health produces great fruit. Um, so this is true of the church, that as our leadership in this church gets healthier, um, our church will get healthier as deacons Uh, serve, they release the the pastors and elders to feed and lead. And as we get more into alignment, we will get healthier. We will see more fruit in our church. So it's true in our church, but it's also true in, in your life. It's true in my life that great health, great spiritual health, produces great fruit. It produces great spiritual fruit. That the more spiritually healthy you get, the more fruit you're going to see in your life. And when I talk about fruit, there's there's really two ways that I mean that. Number one, the fruit of the Spirit. Like the more that you grow healthy spiritually, the more, more fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 that you're going to see, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Those things are going to be produced by the Spirit of God working in your life. The healthier you are, great health produces great fruit. But the truth is that the, the less healthy you are, the less fruit you're going to see in your life. So when you look at your life and you see uh, the fruit of your life is, is, is a lot of um, sinful stuff coming out or you see no fruit in your life, it's probably, it's most likely, it is definitely a reflection of, of your heart and the spiritual health of your life heart because what is true is this the fruit of your life is always proportionate to the health of your heart if your heart isn't healthy spiritually you're not going to see a lot of spiritual fruit in your life but if you grow healthy spiritually if you if you if your affections are for Christ and his word and you begin to grow if you if you get into community with others who encourage you and challenge you and invest in you you will get healthy healthier spiritually you will begin to see more fruit in your life. You'll begin to look more like Christ. And you and I will begin to see more and more people drawn to Christ because of us. But we've got to get healthy from the root. It's it, Root to fruit, it all comes from the root of our heart. And so great health produces great fruit. And what I'm just really excited about um, is where we're at as a church. I've been seeing... A church that is growing more and more healthy, the more that we care about and love the gospel, the more we root ourselves in the grace of God that has appeared bringing salvation to all men. The more we root ourselves in the gospel, the healthier we get as a church and the healthier our leadership is getting. And, and so I'm excited about that. and I'm really excited this morning to ordain three men who I believe God has, has raised up to serve this church.